Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kia ora everybody and welcome to everyone that's not normally joining us online. It's a bigger group today because we can't meet at Westlake Girls High, just for today. So a big group online today. Hey, well today we're diving back into the series that we started in February called Romans, the letter that changes everything. It's a series that we're continuing throughout the year as we take a deep dive into one of the books of the Bible that I have previously mentioned has been described as like this, arguably the most influential book in Christian history, perhaps in the history of Western civilization. These sorts of descriptions come with merit. The words that the Apostle Paul writes to a fledging church in the dynamic city of Rome 2,000 years ago have become some of the most studied and enlightened words for generations of Christians ever since they were first penned. As an example of the significance of the letter to the Romans, It was Romans chapter 1 verse 17 that in 1517 opened the mind of Martin Luther to the concept of justification by faith alone. And this revelation for Luther was instrumental in launching the Reformation, church history's most spectacular revolution. It is this revelation that Luther had we again come to as we open Romans chapter 3 verses 1 to 20 today. A revelation and a realization that has been the foundation stone of our look at Romans over the course of this series already. Now, the challenge of looking at this section of Romans today is that there are no favorite verses in this section. What I mean by this is that for many of us, the letter to Romans contains verses that we've learned since we were kids. For example, Romans 1.16 is hugely popular. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Many of us learnt that years ago. If we follow the order of popular verses in Romans, the next one that so many of you will recognize is Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. In between those two well-memorized verses, there is a lot written about the internal challenges that were plaguing the church in Rome, that was distracting them from being the people of God that Paul hoped they would be in Rome. Unsurprisingly, the distractions were based around people. In particular, the different understandings between Jewish people and Gentile people, non-Jews, and what they thought being loved and accepted by God looked like. As I've been at pains to say in this series already, Romans is a book where we need to carefully consider each section in light of the wider letter. Like most of the Bible, it's dangerous to read too much into just a single verse or a few verses without considering the wider passage that it is part of, or indeed the bigger point of the whole book and where it sits perhaps within the whole Bible. So we won't recap as much every week as we go longer in this series, 
But for now, that discipline is important for us so that we keep the bigger picture in mind. For whenever we read the Bible, and indeed as we go further into Romans. So thus far, in week one, I looked at Romans chapter one, verse one to seven. That gave us an introduction to who Paul was. Who was his master? He says, a servant of Christ Jesus. What his mandate was, he said, called to be an apostle. And what his mission was, set apart. And what his overall message theme is, the gospel of God, the good news. In week two, I looked at Romans chapter 1, verse 8 to 17, where Paul continues to endear himself to his audience and makes the wonderful statement that I've already mentioned in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, etc. A phrase that has been used ever since as the great leveler that salvation is available to all people who follow Jesus without exception. In week three, Caleb had the unenviable task of taking us through Romans 1 verses 18 to 32, which talks about the wrath of God for those who choose to ignore the righteousness of God through faith, effectively saying that our choices do, in fact, determine our destiny. And then in week four, we looked at the entirety of chapter two, verses one to 29, which were deeply challenging as Paul sought to directly address the internal conflict that existed between Jews and Gentiles. In this chapter, Paul again goes back to the foundation of salvation being available to everyone who follows Jesus in faith. Paul seeks to direct both Jews and Gentiles to look at their own lives instead of judging what they see in others to spend more time working on themselves than pointing fingers at others. Romans 2 verse 1, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Don't judge. As I've mentioned, the section we're looking at today doesn't quite get to the beautiful passage in verses 23 to 34, but of course, like usual, the foundation for that wonderful reading is found leading up to it in verses 1 to 20 that we are looking at, where Paul is initially having a discussion with an imaginary friend about the value of the law of Moses that Jewish people had lived with for hundreds of years and which had become so embedded in culture, it was a stumbling block for Paul's earlier claim that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile effectively talking about justification by faith in Christ alone. Many people, perhaps the majority of people, still thought that abiding by the law or living up to a bunch of rules and regulations was the way to be found righteous by God. So salvation was something you had to earn. Chapter 3 verses 1 to 20 is therefore a fascinating discussion where Paul initially takes on the voice of an adversary, a person who makes up, who brings an argument against what he is trying to say, that salvation and, and being found righteous before God is not something we can earn by being good people. In this discussion, he's outlining a hugely important point to help people see that salvation or justification or, or, or righteousness, all of those things come solely through faith and what Christ has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection. We can't minimize how significant this point is. Because when we understand that in our hearts, it is the defining point that feeds how we then allow the Spirit of God to shape our lives. Anyway, I'll come back to that later on. 
But for now, let's look at Romans 3, 1 to 8. And the way that Paul constructs this part of the letter, which could be described as being a Q&A session with his imaginary Jewish friend. The question from Jewish friend 1, verse 1, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Answer from Paul, verse 2, well, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. It is important. Question from Jewish friend, the adversary, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Answer from Paul, verse 4, not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Question 3 from Jewish friend, verse 5. But if our righteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Answer from the Apostle Paul. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? More questions. Verse 7. Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Answer from Paul. Their condemnation is just. You know, I'd actually like to spend ages looking at each of those Q&As individually, but alas, you don't have the time to listen to me today. So let me summarize. For the Jewish person, or in fact for anyone who tries to live their lives by the law, or as we might say today, by a set of rules, it's futile. All the law does, or rules do, is that they show us that we're incapable of living according to laws and rules. Should be obvious, right? If we look at the law of Moses in the Bible, it contains 613 laws to live by. An impossible number. If we look at just a small group of them, maybe just the first 10 commandments. We can't even live by them, let alone the other 603. What Paul is trying to convey in this discussion is that it's impossible to be made right before God by our own efforts or by trying to live up to some predetermined code of morals and ethics because, well, I'm not going to steal Aidan's verses from next week, but there's a leveler about us all falling short of the standard. Paul then expands on his conversation with some statements in verses 9 to 20. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Again, Paul's trying to say that while the law is good for, for some things, no one can live up to it. He then gets quite figurative, quoting some Old Testament passages, using some big words to try and make some dramatic effects. In verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Huge statements all out of the Old Testament. In verse 19, 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. I mean, wowza, there's a lot in there. Strong language that is powerfully making the point that ever since, ever, people have lived their lives in selfish ways. This is nothing new. But then the conclusion, the point that is so pertinent and so challenging to the audience Paul was writing to. Verse 20, Therefore, because of everything that he has just said, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Paul's big point for his audience, who, as we saw in chapter 2, were, were judging each other by the way that they adhered to the law or not. The big point to them is this. The law of Moses or rules and expectations that we impose on ourselves and others about how we should live so that we are accepted by God, only go to expose the futility of the law, rules, and human expectations. They serve the purpose of showing how totally dependent we are on God to make us righteous through faith in Christ alone. Folks, Sometimes we run the danger of thinking that we need to live according to certain standards to be loved by God, or that we need to do certain things or not do certain things to be accepted by God. Over time, the church has perpetuated this myth. We've said that there are certain things you can't do, or there are certain things that you have to do to be accepted and and loved by God. Large sections of our society still think we're bound by rules and regulation. And it puts people off the church and and off receiving the good news that salvation is for everyone. I mean, just read the public comments on any social media story about the church and you'll see exactly what I mean about people's perceptions of the church. The challenge for us is that this is backward thinking and is not at all reflective of God and His ways. And Paul, way back then, was trying to confront these perceptions. The good news of the gospel that Paul is strongly advocating for is that we are made right with God through Christ, precisely because of our inability to live up to God's standards. We're sinners and we all fall short of God's standards. Again, sorry, Aiden. Remember, tune in next week. This means that we are totally dependent upon God to be made righteous, which is all good because he made a way for that through Jesus, who was the only one capable of living a life that fulfilled the law. And for that, he was crucified. He took the punishment for our inability to live up to the law, the punishment for our sin. So we are made righteous. We are saved from sin through faith and what Christ has done. Alone. Now, here's the challenge of all that Paul has been communicating. If we accept what Christ has done for us, which is good news for everyone, then while still being incapable of living up to a list of rules and regulations, our lives should, over time, start to look a little bit more Christ-like. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. But that is something that is worked out after we declare faith in Christ. What Paul is communicating is extraordinarily good news to anyone who thinks they need to live up to something to be loved by God. It's good news to anyone who thinks they're not good enough to be in church. 
It's good news to those who think God doesn't love them because they don't abide by the rules. He does love you. And he's showed you how much he loves you by sending his only son to die on a cross for you. You know, we live so much of our lives trying to do the right things so that we might be accepted by those around us. We try and please our parents. And so many people feel that they're a disappointment when they let their parents down. We try and work our way into the good books of our teachers and our bosses and our congregations by doing all the right things that we think are expected of us. We have a saying in New Zealand that goes, do the mahi, get the treats. But the good news of the gospel is that it goes in the reverse order. Because we're not good enough for God, because we can't possibly meet the standards of the, the rules and laws that we put around ourselves, because we're sinners, Christ came to us. He gave us the treat. And then we do the mahi. So if you think you're not good enough for God, if you wonder if God would love you because if he really knew you, he'd think ill of you. If, if you think you're not welcome in church because of what you wear or who you are, then think again. Paul would say, as he said to the church in Rome, there is good news of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is why Romans is the letter that changes everything. May we know the freedom to come to Christ despite not living up to the standards we sometimes think we should. But may we also know that coming to Christ pushes us to accept that we will then live in His ways, speak His words, and have the mind of Christ as we interact with our world. This is a big concept that Paul is seeking to impart into our lives. That we are saved and justified. We are made righteousness by Christ alone, not by our own efforts. Not by some preconceived set of standards that we think we have to live up to. Yes, we will change in the power of the Spirit as we continue to live. But salvation, it's available to anyone who believes in any situation from any background today. Let's pray. Father, the letter to the Romans is deeply challenging. It's really complex because Paul is saying some really, really big things. And this idea of being made righteous because of what you have done for us, not because of our own efforts, it is kind of the opposite of many things that we live by, where we think we have to work hard to get people's approval or to be seen to be doing the right things before we might be loved and accepted. And Well, it's just the exact opposite thing when it comes to what you tell us. You love us and you accept us and you, you want the very best for us, even though we are imperfect and even though we sin. You showed us just how much you love us by sending your only son. We remembered that last week at Easter. So, Father, <coughs> I pray that we would hear what your word says to us. Even those of us that have been around your word for, for decades, might it continue to impact our lives so that as we go about our lives this week, we would know just how much we are loved, how much you would accept us despite knowing us, 
And Father, for those that might feel condemned by the church, Father, I, I pray that in some divine and powerful way, you, you might show that, in fact, the church, the body of Christ, you, you take them just as they are. So might we have open hearts today to, to hear the good news of the gospel. Salvation, righteousness, justification by Christ alone. And we put our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.